Good afternoon, this is Gary Kavanagh here on TRSI. I'm here today with my friend and colleague Michael Dwyer. Today is Friday, it is the 21st of the 5th. We have a fairly short show for you today because I have to take some time to interview Chris Snowden uh, later on today, which will go up on Sunday. We are going to try and keep this tight, I say, before we hopelessly drift into a two-hour long episode. <laughs> yeah, that's happened before. To crack on, Michael. Traditionally, we have said that justice delayed is justice forsaken, but now, according to Irish courts, justice delayed is actually really just mute. Declan Ganley, his case against the restrictions of the government that the government put in place during his case against them, because they hadn't put in the restrictions beforehand, it has now been declared by a judge to be moot, the, the not worth bringing forward. I thought this was a... It was an incredible judgment. I mean, there are very clear constitutional and public good concerns there. I mean, there's a massive in public interest in getting this matter solved. It seemed to me to be nakedly political, in that the court did not want to come back with an answer that the government wouldn't like, because I cannot see any other reason why you would make such a finding. It, it seems, on the face of it, absurd. Well, Gary, I'm sure the listeners know that neither either of us individually nor collectively like to, you know, or enjoy saying that uh, we were right about something. But in this case, I'll, I'll overcome my timidity and say I was right. We've talked about, mentioned this a couple of times before, and I said before it was almost like the court was spinning this out in order to get to a point where the ban on public worship had been lifted and they could say, oh, it doesn't matter now anyway, so sure, jog along. And that is precisely what they have done. And there's a couple of points on the on the face of it. First of all, have you referred to for it, I, I just still find it weird and to understand that this case hadn't been heard. First of all, whatever about the personal practices of the justices, which I have no knowledge nor interest, and I don't believe that it would have any impact on their understanding of the law anyway, I'm not saying that. The fact is that for a large number of people in this country, public service, uh, public worship and practice, religious practice is a very, very important thing. But even if it wasn't, it's a very important thing for our constitution. Although I think the fact that lots of people, practically speaking, are engaged in this seriously is actually an issue. So it's a serious. There is a serious constitutional protection for the for uh, religious practice in this country. Our constitution takes practice of religion very seriously. We are in a situation where obviously there's a certain amount of time. There's a certain time sensitive nature to this. Normally, when you had a very serious constitutional issue, where there was a very clear question, a very unusual application of the law, because this is the kind, we're looking almost like emergency powers here, like martial law powers that are being exercised by the state uh, during the pandemic. And it's absolutely correct that those should come under the uh, examination of the, of the highest courts. And this is not Ireland being f funny. As you, I don't know at this stage, Many, many countries around the world, and, and even in Europe, this issue has gone to the highest courts, the constitutional courts, uh, for resolution. And in many cases, the courts have decided that the action taken by the states was excessive and disproportionate and unconstitutional. Even countries far more secular historically and in practice than Ireland, like, for example, the Republic of France, those, the courts have said, no, you can't do this. They, the fact that they, they, they wouldn't hear the case at all the, the merits of the case I thought was odd. They're now saying they won't hit, oh, it's a moot point. But the pandemic is not over. There has been absolutely no guarantee given by the government that restrictions will not be reintroduced. 
we have been hearing, Gary, have we not constantly about the danger? How many waves have we had? Are we on our fourth wave or fifth wave? What? What would it be in autumn? I can't remember what wave it would be. But that there is a serious risk that there would be a new wave in autumn. And if that were to occur, I have no doubt that they would they'd say, well, back with the old publish, probably back to level three or level four, at which point Republic worship would again disappear. It's, it's very hard to see, Gary, how this isn't the court saying this is a decision we don't want to no this happens and let people not be this happens all the time with its constitution you listen you listen to the comments of supreme court justices of the united states and they will quite frank that sometimes they will make certain kinds of decisions regarding that they will hear a certain aspect of one case or they won't hear the whole case or they'll only or they'll return a case back to the lower courts because for whatever reason, they don't want to give a definitive judgment on on this case, on this point of law, or on the whole point. They only want to give it on a very limited point, and that this is a case that it seems to me that they just don't want to hear it because they don't want to have to give the judgment that they would have to give because that will put the government in stone. It's very hard to see how this any other characterization could be put upon it. It's not even a wrong decision. I think it's just a very unserious decision. I mean, it is hard on the face of it to see how this is not still a pertinent question, because the underlying question is about the state's ability to impinge on those rights for the common good. Now, at this point, it looks almost certain that we will be seeing similar restrictions to what we have seen moving forward. Maybe we won't because of the success of various programs, like the vaccination program, or we may see numbers decline more naturally. But I think if you were a betting person, Michael, the chance that we will have these those restrictions again, quite high. So for court to simply say that the point is moot, I think that's it's quite tortured to even say that. I, I don't think it's a thing a serious court would have said, because how could it be the case? It, it, and I think it'd be kind to say that at best it's, it's lazy. And I think that for those people out there who are maybe not that engaged because they don't particularly care about religion, they think, ah, come on, that's not that important. They can watch it on telly anyway. And would it, I, 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 I'll give you a more, a more, a broader and I think more concerning point. And we, again, Gary, we've talked about this, adverted to this before. One of the things that has really kind of bugged me, kind of worried me that we've seen in the last several months now, as this pandemic has gone on, there is a sense when a government is going bullheaded for a project and has the support, the almost unanimous support of the media in its project, in that project. And there's a sense of that for ghastly phrase, the green jersey and all that. The Constitution is effectively might as well be a decoration you put on the wall beside the photograph of the Sacred Heart and Michael Collins. Or the photograph of the Sacred Heart. It's just something decorative. If you do not have the means to vindicate your rights via the courts, via ultimately the higher of the Supreme Court, well then what, what good is the Constitution? What good is it having constitutional protections? You might as well, genuinely, you might as well not have them. You might as well better off not having a Constitution so we could, we could directly go from here to Europe, where we might, which as I suspect, might have been the end up of this case with Ganley anyway, and, then, and rely on the Europeans to protect our rights for us. Because 
I mean, it's not just religious practice, but there have been so many things, Gary, that have happened here that have been obviously infringements on basic constitutional liberties. Now, it's perfectly possible in a number of those cases, up to a point you could say, well, the Constitution allows that for the sake of, for good order or, or for, the, for the common good, etc., that the state can do X or Y. But that is not an unlimited power. It has to be responsible. It has to be proportionate. It shouldn't be indiscriminate. And I think there are many, and several instances anyway, where the courts could legitimately have been asked to say, is this really proportionate and, 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 and indiscriminate? And the courts might have said, no, it's not. The government has to look at a new way of doing this. As it is, where are we left with now, Gary? I, what, what real meaning does it have to have a constitutional right? If no, no fucker is going to do it for you. I mean... Are we relying on Mickey D in the in the park? No, I mean, we, we talked before about the issues surrounding Cork legal um, services in Ireland and cost and making the point that, listen, if you can only bring a case to try and protect a constitutional right or at least to see if the infringements of it are constitutionally appropriate, if you can only do that, if you have hundreds of thousands that you're willing to throw at it, what is the value of the constitution if the average person cannot actually use it to defend their rights? And now we've seen in this instance where even someone who has that money can simply be strung along and then a court can simply say that, well, it doesn't matter anymore. Now, what I would point out here, Michael, is that the state itself, when they kept asking for time and they were saying they would need weeks to do this, they themselves gave an undertaking to Ganley's legal team because they asked for it, that the state would not try and bring forward any claim that um, if anything happened to the restrictions, that the case was moot. So the state itself agreed that even if the restrictions were gone, they would still participate in the case and would not try and make any claim that it should be removed on that basis. Right. And Ganley's legal team are making the very good point that if that undertaking had not been given to them, they would have absolutely conducted things differently. As it was, they were willing to give the state a certain amount of time without taking certain steps because they were told it wasn't going to be an instance. And the court simply said, well, it doesn't matter what the state said. We think this. I think this is the worst of all possible judgments, not because of, of what it relates to the actual matter, but because it is a, it is clear that the court's reasoning is just, as I said, it's not even wrong. It's simply not the reasoning that would be taken by a body that concerned itself with its purpose. I, I cannot see how you can make that ruling in the current circumstances when it is clear that this issue could very easily come up. It is clear there is constitutional concerns with it. When, as you said, when you look at Europe, you can see other countries have had these laws struck down and regulations struck down based on that. And even if it was the case that there were no regulations in place, it is a massively important thing to determine how far the state can go in future. And for a court to simply say, well, even though the state is willing to, to keep this going, the courts aren't going to consider. I, as I said, it's, it's not even wrong. It's just not serious. It's just not what a serious institution would do. And you wouldn't see it in Britain or France or Germany, places where those courts would absolutely have considered this. And I'm surprised and disappointed, <laughs> sounds rather pathetic, because I would, I have started, I've always had a lot of time for the Irish Supreme Court, and we tend to have very, very decent people and very good lawyers on the court. What surprises me most of all is that one of the things the court, and courts like this tend to be careful about, is saying, well, you know, this is not actually our competence. This is a competence of the legislature. This is a competence of the executive. 
not our competence. And that's right, you should be there. And it seems to me in this case, the question of whether or not it is moot is not their competence. That is the competence of the legislature. They have suspended, that's all, they have suspended the practices, the, the, the restrictions. There is no guarantee that, and nor will the state be willing to give such guarantee. And I think if, if the court, if the court, and I think it would still have been wrong, but if the court had said to the, the counselor for the state, said, is the state willing to guarantee that it will no long, it will not reintroduce these? And the state was in the position to say, we absolutely guarantee that these restrictions will not be reintroduced. Then it might, you might say there was a reason to it, but there's, other than the fact that they wouldn't do it, I couldn't see how possibly the state could say that because God knows what might happen even without the pandemic. So I don't think it's their position to to say whether it's moot or not. I think it's yeah, it's a fundamentally unserious response, but it's a very serious unserious response. I don't know. I, I I generally expect better from the courts. I shouldn't, considering what we saw with Frank Clark and the uh, Supreme Court over Gulfgate. That, by the way, Michael, is one of the things I, I most think I was right about and everyone else was wrong about when um, everyone was calling for the resignation of a judge for attending a dinner. And I said, no, actually, we need to have the president of the Supreme Court resign. Absolutely. I mean, I was absolutely rode behind you on that one. I agreed with you at the time. I thought it was in a fit of peak. It was completely inappropriate behaviour. Uh, I also got slightly hung by John McGurk on it. I mentioned it to him and I had a little debate about it and he was like, Gary, that's crazy. And then I, the next day, Michael, I wake up and he's written an article in which he says, my, my colleague, Gary Kavanagh, has said that actually Frank Clark should resign. <laughs> it sounded crazy, but then the more I thought about it, the more I was like, actually, he's got a point. And I was like, thanks. Thanks for that, John. That's great work there, teamwork. Well, I'm glad to say, I'm glad that he only hung you. He didn't hang me as well. Thanks, John. I, I'm, I'm, I'm always... I'm always and I'm not actually, this sounds like a complaint, but it's genuinely not a complaint. It's always Gary that is associated with these outlandish things. I, my, my name never seems to make it in there, even though I'm, I, I might be at the forefront of cheering it on. But, and I'm perfectly happy that it should remain so. Um, just briefly, there was a, a case. Do you see the case for that? Uh, the, the, the young fella that kills the pedestrian, uh, driving away, breaking a red light, was given two years juvenile detention. No, I hadn't said that one. Guess what, the, guess what judge? It was Nolan, wasn't it? <laughs> it was, apparently, yeah. We must, at this point, clarify that it was not Nolan who was dealing with the Declan Ganley case. No, 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 no. Although that would have been hilarious. Now, speaking of the law, Gary, speaking of the law, um, I, 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 I'm not going to go into details or names or anything, but generally, I was on my way... This morning, uh, listeners will be delighted to know, today the uh, the first strawberries in Gory have arrived, green strawberries, wonderful, best strawberries in Ireland were on sale. I was there at half eight. Surrounded by a throng of people, it just amuses me. It's like a bad Wexford joke. All these people desperately arriving to get the first strawberries. I was listening to the radio and apparently some solicitor was making a comment regarding the, you know, this, the, this, uh, data hacking that happened to the HSE. So he was apparently saying that he made some comment to the fact that your citizens should be in a position, you know, if, I don't know, sensitive data of, of, of theirs, was, which had been held on the HSE servers and then was released into the world by these hackers, that they might have a, a tort case for uh, damages because of negligence or something. And 
I think it was the Minister for Health made some comment to the effect that solicitors were licking their lips at the prospect. And everybody was dumping on this terrible attitude, these bloody lawyers, and oh my God, and the lack of patriotism. Isn't it shocking and isn't it awful? Now, a couple of things have, have been reported in the press in the last couple of days. Right? The first was, that apparently last year, the HSE paid 200 million in IT services. And if you, I, what I do remember, do you remember a few years ago, there was, it wasn't millions, it was billions were, was spent on IT in the health service. And even after it, we discovered that the whole thing was still wasn't actually joined up. I think it was health service and maybe it was social welfare as well. And savage amounts of money. So 200 million. And then we discovered, Gary, that they were running Windows 7, which to the, the amateur computer user out there seemed bizarre because Windows 7 isn't supported anymore. And the last time the security patch was in 2020. Now, as you pointed as you said to me, Gary, off air, I said, perfectly possible a customer as big as this. They may still be providing support, but why would you still run Windows 7 anyway, Gary? I mean, why wouldn't you just move up? I mean, it's it's an interesting, actually, thing about organizational structures. Once you've built massive things, massive pieces of infrastructure, be they physical or computer, it can sometimes be very difficult to actually change them. There's a surprising amount of the modern world which is running on um, something like COBOL, which is a computer programming language from God knows how long. Well, I can tell you, we, we were taught COBOL in 1985 in, in school. We had computer classes and they were teaching COBOL and Pascal. I think COBOL is from the 1960s. So you, a lot of these really large legacy systems like defense systems and nuclear missile systems are built on stuff like COBOL. And then there's a cost to changing it over, and sometimes it can be very difficult to do so because it may interfere with certain things that can't be interfered with. And I don't know. I don't know in this case what is the actual issue. It may be that there is some reason why they have to stay on it. it on the face of it looks like a glaring security error that a company which is, again, paid substantial amounts of money by the Irish state should not have happened to it. But it may not be, we, and I don't think we'll know. So I, I take your point, Michael, because it could be a fuck-up. And if it's a fuck-up, it's a big one. But it may be due to whatever issue. My my point here is, I, I'm not particularly, because I, I take your point regarding, you know, the, the fact that legacy, it is an issue sometimes changing old systems. Although, actually, one of the reasons why you'd buy a Windows operating system like this is supposedly, when they're selling points, would be the ease with which you can transfer from Windows from 7 to 8 to 9 to 10 and so on. And that's one of the reasons why you go for a system like that rather than a, a bespoke internal system. It should be possible to do that. My question is, are we, and I, this is, I, I'm going to make another prophecy, shall we say, in the lines. Already, I have a very strong sense, Gary, that this is going to be one of those things that, again, it will be nobody's fault. Nobody is going to be responsible. And because the, the lawyers were saying, they're all giving up about the solicitors and the lawyers. Well, Gary, if through somebody's negligence, my private medical details or your private medical or, any, or, or Tom, Dick or Harry's goes out the let and that does me damage, well, then I have a right. I bloody well do have the right to go to somebody and say, you fucked up and you have to you have to compensate me for that. And if somebody doesn't do this, if they've done, what are fun, one of the fundamental central problems with the way we do business in this country is again and again and again, nobody is held responsible for being, for folk ups happening. You and I have both been talking to people recently, Gary, who've been telling us little horror stories coming from the site of the children's hospital. 
a horror story which has completely disappeared from the headlines, but is continuing to be a horror story. It's one of the one of the great horror stories of European politics. This is not just this is a horror story at an international level. I don't think people are understand that. You know, having gone from a six hundred million hospital to a twenty to a two billion to a two two point two billion, what God knows what it will be in the end. Nobody will be responsible for that. What the, the fuck up with the, the rollout of the national broadband plan again and again? And again. Look at the going back, back, back to the to the the scandal of the of the uh, the, the, the the victims, the hemophilia victims, uh, and the, and the Ministry of Health in in, the, in those. Who's held responsible? When was the last time that you can think that somebody, him, held responsible and suffered the consequences? Michael, we the, the Daily Mail story recently on the HSE's vaccination portal, that it was absolutely unsecured, that they couldn't stand over, I think, 20% of the people who signed up to it, that there was no verification, and that massive amounts of people may have used it who did not actually work for the HSE at all. And even on those, when they came out and said, well, we can't stand over, you know, 20%, they actually couldn't stand over anyone because there was no verification at any point. And uh, if you remember, Gary, I had come across an individual in Dublin whose GP was recommending to his clients, his patients, that they apply for the vaccination through the through that portal on, and until they, they, they closed it, the public, the, the, the link was, was closed down. So God knows how many people are on it. Again, that is, that is a program that would have been directly overseen by the CEO of the HSE because it is of such importance. And I thought there was a very strong argument that Paul Reid should have been sacked over it. Not allowed to resign gracefully, but sacked. Because there are always issues, there's always leaks, but to have no verification system at all, so that you couldn't even stand over anyone you did vaccinate who worked for the HSE, is a screw-up of incredible proportions, and it was ultimately his fault. But not only did it, he not get sacked, no one got punished. And in fact, it was quite weird, because there was nearly like the thing we saw with Gript and ISAG, where everyone just agreed not to cover it, except it was the Daily Mail. So the Daily Mail pumps out this story and it gets a fair bit of mention and then just disappears. And even when I saw the um, the chap who wrote it, Craig Hughes, I think, on TV, yes, he, he had a couple of slots where he was talking about that, but then it again just disappeared. Yeah. And it shouldn't have. That should have been a scandal that forced the resignation of Paul Reid. And it didn't. But it never does. There is no scandal so mighty that it could take down the least member of the HSE. The closest you can expect in Ireland is shall we, the, the, the the sacking of the of the of the the mythical intern and explain every large organization will have an intern who never actually existed and every time somebody gets drunk and goes on twitter and says something stupid or publishes something on facebook or sends out a press release they shouldn't and everybody goes terrible they find somebody and it'll be oh, Maeve Doyle or Jack Dunn Yes, we had an intern. Unfortunately, I was. They have been. They have been dismissed. Uh, we have taken action immediately, and we're terribly sorry that they, they weren't being properly supervised. And that's it. And that's it. There's a law initially. No, I'm not saying that it's regularly observed, but at least the spirit of it I like. Which is, it's, it's. I, the title would be roughly corporate homicide. So, the theory is that say. Um, Say somebody dies as a result of uh, negligence regarding safety practices in a factory 
run, or not, I was going to say Agnelli because he's gone, but say in, in one of the television studios run by Silvio Berlusconi. And you can demonstrate that this is something which was, which was as a result of uh, negligence at a corporate level where they had, they, they, they had deliberately ignored the, the rules, the regulations and the inspections or whatever it was. The CEO of that company is corporately responsible for the deaths. So you could charge Silvio Berlusconi with corporate homicide in the same ways. Who do we have a boss of any well known? What's his name? O'Leary in Ryanair. You could end up charged. Somebody died as a result of something like that in an airport in Zagreb. You could end up charging uh, Michael O'Leary with corporate homicide. And that's the guy. We should. The, the sense that ultimately. The book stops here, as Harry Truman famously had on the desk in the White House. But the book stops anywhere but there in Ireland. The book will stop usually as low down the feed, uh, the, the food chain as you can possibly get. And, as, and I, I'm very much in the mood, Gary, for a bit of a, of a French Revolution here. And I want to see some, some big knobs with heads chopped off, basically. Because I don't think we're ever going to get anything done in this country until we start chopping a few heads off. I, uh, I would just use this point to reiterate my continued confusion regarding the Gulfgate thing. I remember when that broke and I thought it was, as a story, pretty much absolutely unimportant. Embarrassing for those involved, but given Irish people's general approach to things, absolutely unsurprising. Yeah. And then we just started seeing people being, not resigning, but being resigned. Mm-hmm. And I just remember thinking about it, I was like, the amount of things that have happened in Ireland and that we have seen, like the ineptitude, the graft, the simple, incredible levels of failure, and this is what we are going to cause people to resign for. That's not setting a low bar, it's setting a bar somewhere in the fucking distance. <laughs> like, it doesn't, it didn't, it did not to me make sense because I looked at it and I went, this has no impact, zero actual policy impact. But every day, you know, continuously, we just see gross ineptitude and we never sack those people. In fact, it, the, the aim here seems to be don't do anything you know, terribly good because then people complain about it. Don't do anything terribly bad. Just try and maintain a steady equilibrium. Do nothing of importance, actually. Yeah. I, I know. And I know I've described the Irish government before as a colonial bureaucracy where the home country is no longer picking up the phone. But that does very much seem to be its case. We're going to remove people because they have momentarily embarrassed us. But we don't actually care on the policy side of things, on the political side of things. Those people never get sacked. Those people never get removed because they didn't embarrass you. And that seems to be the only metric we have going. And where I said before about the courts not being a serious organization, if you think you are a serious entity and you have a serious purpose, not punishing these people reflects poorly on you. Whereas in Ireland, it's simply what is done. Everyone kind of likes no one being punished because I think there is a sort of sense of, well, someday I could be the person who fucked up and then I wouldn't want to be punished. <laughs> like, yes, that's true, but you should be. If you make a mistake and it impacts on people negatively, there should be a consequence to you. And that should depend on the severity of what happens and your involvement and if it was foreseeable. So, I mean, for instance, Michael, this week, do, do you know the the Minister for uh, Transport is obviously Eamon Ryan. So we've had hundreds of job losses in that sector due to entirely foreseeable uh, circumstances caused largely, not entirely, but largely by the government. 
Eamon Ryan is also the Minister for Cybersecurity. So, it hasn't been a good week for his, shall we say, ministerial brief, Michael. Not, not, not brilliant, no. And yes, people will say, well, nothing can be done because the Green Party is propping up the government. But I think that forgets the point. It doesn't matter who is in that position because whoever was in the position wouldn't have been punished anyway. Could have been anyone. This is just an excuse now where we could say, well, if it was different, we would have done something. No, you wouldn't have because historically you never have. So why would you start now? You told me last week on some survey that Simon Harris was the most popular minister in the country, or the minister for whom people had the highest opinion. In you know, in was the last opinion poll. Now, you see, that's the t- that's, that's that's the time where you look at you think to yourself, I like this country. You know, in fact, I do. I love this country. I'm very fond of the people of this country. But if you think that Simon Harris is the best, most competent minister in the state, now either, either Gary, what they're actually doing is sending a scathing satirical message via the polling company saying, yeah, we think that Simon Harris is the best minister. In the same way as if somebody in, you know, somebody was asked to represent Gory in the 100 meter sprint at the Olympics and the people of Gory chose me. That would be a kind of a satirical response, yeah. That's how seriously we take this. We're going to send... But I don't think that it was satirical. I think that was their opinion. And you have to reach a point, Gary, where you, you start saying, you know what, lads? If that's the way you're, you're going about politics, you deserve everything you get. The problem is, it's not just them. I get it too. What The question I would put to you there, Michael, is thinking back over the last 10 years of Irish government, what policy achievements have been made? What problem was fixed over that time? The only things I can think of off the top of my head are social issues where some people would say there's a problem and some people weren't. So you have things like repeal. So for a certain amount of the electorate, that was legitimately an impressive uh, achievement. But when you look at the actual gender recognition bill, big thing, okay. yeah. yeah, things that please certain sectoral or ideological interests. But when you look at the actual the economic side of things, the health service, the housing service. Have we is the health service any better? No, the health service is still costing more money and less less results. Social welfare not working. Housing crisis every year got getting worse and worse. Completely ignored. Actually, they're going to make it worse. Oh God, it's like they're out. No, one can't be too egotistical about this because I'm sure they don't just want to give me a brain hemorrhage. Do you see the the new thing they're going to tax? REITs, 10% tax. That's the solution, Gary. That's the fucking solution these people come up with to the housing problem. And it's only going to be for houses. It's not going to be for flats. God, that is, that'd be great, Michael. Unless they were in some way public-facing or had the ability to push their costs onto the public. In which case, I mean, that would, that would seem to just... That would seem to be something, you know, a good intent that would just immediately drive prices up as they sought to unload those increased costs onto their consumers. But, Gary... Has that ever happened in the real world, though? Oh no, Michael! In the real world, companies just take the hit. They just take the hit. They don't. They don't pass the cost on. No. On the day-to-day affairs that make people's lives better or worse, has there been an achievement in the last ten years outside the social realms? So Simon Harris is linked to the most popular social achievement that this day has undergone in that time, and there's nothing else, Michael. There is no 
economic or political or infrastructural or internal, nothing has been improved, nothing has been made better outside of those realms. And even there, as I said, that's an ideological argument. Some people are going to love it, some people aren't. But at least he was involved with something. I mean, Michal Martin is still coasting by on the fucking smoking ban. Yeah. This man has been in politics for, it feels like half a century at this point, and he's got the smoking ban. I'm actually genuinely trying to think, I'm trying to be decent here, and think of something that came from government that achieved something the last 10 years. But actually there is, there is a broader question there of not even good things, but just things they have done. It's the achievements of any kind. That, I mean, you could forward against. I'm, I'm, I'm really, I'm struggling here. I'm coming up with a blank. Charlie Hawley was Taoiseach from 87 till 92 he created the ifsc he was involved in he it was the revivification of temple bar and all of central dublin he lowered corporate tax he lowered personal taxation reduced inflation and introduced interest rates i mean i mean there, and, and other stuff i mean as it happens he introduced free travel for old age pensioners. That, 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 that's the thing, if you're talking about the Hahi administration, you have to choose what you want to talk about. And then you realise the Hahi was actually not there that long. And yes, there were the corruption things, although, as I've said, I don't really care about those. There was a really interesting article, a really interesting article written by a serious economist talking about uh, developed economies and the, the fact that in many economies at a certain time, you have... Uh, as almost a structural problem with the housing supply. And he was arguing for the necessity for the for bribery. <laughs> you really have to get bribery going again. A little bit of corruption, because otherwise everything wrapped up. But we won't get into that. But all through the 90s, we were building, Albert came back with the money from Europe. We were building roads and motorways and Croke Park and Yokes. And, but honestly, God, for the last 10 years, and interestingly enough on Hahi, like we talk a lot about Whitaker and Whitaker's influence on the uh, the improvements in the Irish economy. I think you can make a very strong argument that without the movements that Hahi did, you wouldn't have seen the 90s that we had and into the early 2000s. It simply wouldn't have happened. The best government we had in the country, I would always have argued, 87 to 89 was a minority government. And Finnegale have never forgiven Alan Jukes for employing the Talis strategy. You had Mac, Ray McSharry. The country was fucked. We were bankrupt. We had the second highest external GDP in the world. We had probably the highest these days. But I think Poland were sort of with the top three was Mexico, Ireland, and Poland. I mean, we were shagged. The IMF were on the way in. Uh, McSharry came in as Minister of Finance and in swinging cuts across the gaff. But they did something really weird and radical that everybody said was madness. Spending cuts, but also tax cuts. Actually, that's another one. I mean, we, we've had we've had quite a long time of a Fine Gael government. No real substantial tax cuts, either. Tax cuts? You know, we don't do tax cuts. Anymore. And by the way, I don't know if you saw the ERSI's... Uh, Higher taxes for more progressive services. More and more and more taxes, more taxes, more taxes. Higher income tax, higher property tax, higher corporation tax. Michael, it's, you know, it's, it's a common idea that any money you have left over after you've paid your taxes is money that the state has effectively given to you. 
because he could take anything it wanted. I don't. I'm not going to get into the argument about various about their the individuals or their philosophies or what they did afterwards, what was right and wrong, and various governments. But there was a there were two comments made by two different men who were minister of finance, which to me. It was a, maybe it was a personal thing rather certainly than an ideological party thing. Is this Noonan? Ch- Noonan and, Mc- and Charlie McCreevy. Charlie McCreevy said, or famously said, it has always been my belief when it comes to taxing the, ta- when it comes to taxing the citizen, a light hand is the most thing. Remember, you take from them what only what, what you only what you need. It is their money, not yours. And that was one of McCreevy's big things. And Brian Cowan, to be fair to him, that was also a mantra of Cowan. It's not your money, it's theirs. Noonan spoke. It was obvious that he regarded your salary as his. And what you got back was what he decided to give you back. That the money, the productive, the, the productive wealth of the country was the property of the Minister of Finance. And he'd give you back your pocket money. There's a fundamental difference in the, in the way they saw the they saw the world and they saw the the shall we say the labouring citizen. And if you have that difference, well, then inevitably you're going to have a difference in governance. But I mean, there's also just a question here of, of the personality of some of the people involved here. Like I've been on losing political campaigns, and I've been involved in business ventures that didn't work out terribly well, and you know, things sometimes don't go to plan. But if you were working in an area, Michael, like politics, and presumably you get involved because you well, actually, a lot of people get involved because they were involved with the party, just historically. But you would think after 10 years, if you've achieved nothing, nothing of any significance has been done by you or your people, you'd wonder how many people would just go, should I get a different job? And actually, I kind of look at <laughs> Owen Murphy just going, actually, I'm just going to go and do something of value. Yeah, but to be fair, Owen, Owen Murphy is a bright, talented and qualified young man who can probably go off and earn quite a lot of money doing other things. How many of the people in the doll would find another job that would pay them effectively well more, a lot more than a hundred grand a year? I mean, when you consider the various bits and pieces. I know. I, I I take my problem actually with Irish politics is is less about the actual politics of it, and more that I think if you do a job, you should do it well. But remember that for most TDs, action. I don't criticise them for this. Most TDs, they consider their job is serving the, the needs of their constituents in fixing potholes and getting doors on council houses. And actually, I don't criticise that. It, the problem is, shall we say, uh, towards the head of the thing. The people are supposed to have the big ideas. Now, even the, every TD should have a fundamental disposition. A fun, uh, is they, I think they should have a core and I suppose, if anything, I, my, my sense is that fewer and fewer of them have cores. At, at the heart at the heart of Irish folk, politics lies a vacuum. They have no fundamental belief. They have no fundamental worldview. So it's perfectly possible that for one government, they will passionately believe in free enterprise and low taxation and free trade. And then within five years, they believe in massively progressive taxation and protection and protected trade, you know, because they don't really believe in anything. The thing that most Irish politics represents to me now is not left or right or capitalist or socialist or anything like that, because we don't, we don't reach that level and we don't aspire to that level. 
largely what it just represents to me is stagnation and decay. I fail to see anyone really who has much beyond that. Even people who are ideologically opposed, but at least seem to have a little bit of get up and go, a little bit of competence, would be a delight at this point. Because it, in, you, see, you see it in campaigns, you see it in businesses, you rise to the level of your opposition. And what that means is in, in campaigns I've seen where you, there's no real opposition to you, you kind of just coast it home. Because you know, you're not going to get up at you know, 2 a.m. to do something when you don't have to. But when you have an effective opposition, you do better because there's more at stake. And we don't really have that, I don't I, it's It's an odd feeling because you have Sinn Féin and you have parties who are different, but they don't seem to be sufficiently different. Well, they certainly, by the time they get close to government, they won't be. There's a line from Abide With Me, which you you almost got, which is, he says, change and decay, you know, all around I see. The problem in Ireland is we have the decay, but we don't even have the change. However, Gary, um, it is time for you to go off and prepare for Snowden and me to go off and prepare for other things. We, sh- well, we won't be back on Sunday. You should be back on Sunday talking to Mr. Smith. And I will highly recommend that. Anybody listening there, he is always good value. And he will, ta- he will say things which will shock and surprise you. But he will have a study sh- to, to back it up. Otherwise, we'll be back on Wednesday. Wednesday. All the best. Have a good weekend.